This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything. From which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to episode 239 of the Stacey West podcast. I am your host, Gary, and tonight I am joined by Mr. Lamming. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm wonderful, thank you. How are you? I'm great because I had a burger and chips for my dinner last night, a substantial portion uh, for my dinner, which was very nice. So there's a little story, a little story, and we always like to start the Stacey West podcast with a little story. So I'm a man of routine, and on a night game, what I normally do is I pick up my dad and sometimes Chris and sometimes Dave, and we drive into the poacher, and we have a nice meal at the poach. Well, we have a meal at the poacher. I mean, it is what it is. And then we go to the ground, got to the poacher, not serving food. Now, I complained a bit about the mailbox because they've changed their menu and I went there with Fee the other day and it was 20 quid for a burger and a beer and the burger was a Big Mac, basically, and a handful of skin on fries that I know cost £3.50 for a big bag for Morrison's because they're the ones I have. Anyway, Dave suggests we go to the Prince of Wales. So we pull up in the bay or go into Prince of Wales, exactly the same menu as the Varsity. So I had the same burger at 20 quid. It's all right. But Chris, you were a little less fortunate, weren't you? I was. It's not like me to uh, to be genuinely pissed off about anything, but I think you you said yesterday it's probably the most annoyed you've ever seen me. I've never seen you without face. <laughs> I've never seen you. So what did t- t- what did you order first of all? What did it say on the menu? Well, I wasn't particularly hungry, but I knew I needed to have something to keep me going. And there's a lovely little light bites section. Light bites, chicken tacos. That'll do nicely. So I went to the bar, ordered some chicken tacos, and the lady behind the bar. She kind of warned me already. She says, they are very, very small, just to warn you, they are really small. I says, okay, I'll have, I'll have two lots then. And uh, what arrived was certainly not not tacos. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, 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 a yeah, completely cold mini tortilla wrap, not, not fried, not shaped, not hard or anything, just a limp, cold, yeah, with unbelievable amount of lettuce. A little bit of sauce and uh, a single chicken nugget. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't yeah, resemble you... anything like a taco. Oh, it was you unbelievable. Did get two of them per serving. So you did get four chicken nuggets for your 13 pounds. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Could not four believe it. And, and a flat pint of beer and all. Oh, I did not enjoy my pre match. <laughs> but I very much enjoyed everything after it, despite the result. Yes. Yeah, quite. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I did enjoy my burger. Um, and, and what I liked about last night off the pitch was just that sense. I don't know. It was a sense of something that I don't think we've particularly had since COVID, since before COVID. I just don't feel that we certainly haven't had that big cup tight since or bank since what Everton under Dan and Nick. And with that was the year they left, didn't they? Not long after that, if I remember correctly. Didn't we play Everton was, after? Uh, no, I think we was in League Two that season. Were we? I thought it was. Well, I could be wrong. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I've got it the other way. Have I got it the other way around? Who did we play after we beat Huddersfield then in the League Cup? 
Maybe that was it. Uh, Blackburn. Did we have Everton we in the FA Cup? We had Everton in the FA Cup the year that we were promoted then, didn't we? In League Two. I, I, I was sure we were a League One side when we played Everton. No, but see, I, I, you're the, you're the uh, Lincoln City history historian here. I'm, I trust well, you more than mine. I, I wouldn't say that, but we haven't we haven't had anyway one of those nights since um, I don't think since Everton, which was was certainly very much predated um, uh, Michael Appleton, didn't it? Uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, the League Cup was the twenty nineteen tw- was the nineteen twenty season. So yeah, it was a couple of games before they left. In fact, it was actually a couple of weeks before they left because it was August the 29th. So it was one of their last games. We haven't had that. COVID came robbed us of a really good season and the next Michael Appleton season was was a damp squib and then the first Mark Kennedy season the big cup ties were away and people came back after Covid and said they felt disconnected and then Michael Appleton's football disconnected people further and last night even around town in Gwyns where we went for a drink beforehand walking up to the ground around the fan zone it just felt finally felt it was the same feeling that I used to get when we went to night matches when Dan and Nick were in charge and I think that it was nice to finally see that there was a real connection again, the kind of around the ground. There was a really, really good vibe. Obviously, there was the tribute to Colin beforehand, which a lot of people missed because, you know, in classic Lincoln City style, we managed to revisit turnstile issues and people struggled to get in, I think. Um, and, you know, ultimately we were there for a game of football. What did you think to the West Ham lineup when you first saw it? Kind of two swear. thoughts, really. <laughs> No, I was obviously a bit scared because <laughs> it was a it was a it's a lineup that would stay up in the Premier League. Even though it was, they did make a few changes from the the players that they started in the Prem. There were some notable absences in the whole squad, but that's a strong squad. For, I think for the first time in a, in many years, West Ham have actually got a bit of depth. They've invested the Declan Rice money really well. Um, but I also thought that made it more of an occasion, to be honest. And uh, I thought it, it kind of makes it even like a bigger cup tie. It makes it a bigger scalp if we do manage to get through. A bigger test, of course, but also just thought, you know, fair play to David Moyes for giving us some respect. But I think it's respect that we've earned, to be honest. So, yeah, I was, I was kind of looked at it and thought, oh, blowing heck. You know, I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting a weaker side than that. But I was kind of oddly pleased about it. Yeah, I, I thought we started well. Um, I thought they started really well. You could see their class. Some of the tricks and the flicks, their movement off the ball. You know, when you watch a Premier League game and I don't. Um, but when other people watch Premier League games who, who are not me, you tend to see two teams that are at the same level. And therefore, sometimes those things can cancel each other out. The runs that they make, the speed with which they spot the passes and, and all that sort of stuff, that becomes the norm. But when you see it in the flesh against your team, um, I thought they were, were so impressive. And OK, they lacked something in the final third. Danny Ings probably didn't didn't provide the outlet for them. I think some of their crosses and I got caught in the wind, but I thought that they moved the ball so quickly. They looked like a Premier League team. And I didn't think when Everton came, for instance, that they looked particularly at that level. Um, But it didn't take us very long to acclimatise. Now, that is real credit to us. And when you consider, and it's six minutes in, so we've not done bad here, seven minutes in, when you consider we don't have any strikers, um, (laughs) <laughs> should have a klaxon going on. Yeah, that's like me saying pathway. It's you mentioning the striker situation. And, and, but you can't mention anything at all at the moment without that being <laughs> context. You can't. You can't talk about any game. You can't preview a game. You can't review a game without thinking about that context. We were league one side without any strikers. But we talked the other day, I think it was you and I on the podcast, about the two-thirds behind whatever makeshift front three we've got. And I think in those first 15 minutes, we coped absolutely superbly. We sat back, we soaked up a little bit of pressure, we made an error. And I actually think Sean Rowan's error was the best thing that happened to us because there was the slip. Obviously, I can't remember, I can't remember who had the efforts, but it was a double save from Jensen. I thought the whole crowd then were lifted on the back of that and it was a great atmosphere anyway. And I, I just felt that that was actually our springboard to then kick on and go and have a little bit of a go. Yeah, well, directly after that, we went and got a corner straight off the counter-attack as well. So it was a brilliant counter-attack. And then that really lifted, really lifted everyone even more than they were. And then I think we, we really grew into that first half, didn't we? I think just, just picking up on a point you made earlier, because often when you see kind of upsets or tight games with League One teams or, or, or lower league teams playing a Premier League side, 
sometimes the Premier League team do obviously play a significantly weaker team, but they also maybe have a real off day. And I don't think West Ham did have an off day. I, I would agree with you. I think I was really impressed with them. Um, you could see their class. There's no denying their class. But I think that just credits us even more because we did keep it so tight and it's not like they had a put an off day. We we just matched them at you know with a decent showing from them. Um, but yeah, from that moment on, I thought we really, really grew into that first half. And if anything, I thought we were... I know we've got rose-tented glasses, glasses, haven't we? And we're always going to be a little biased, but I genuinely thought we we probably created the the better chances. We were more likely to score in that first half, and oh, it was an absolute delight. It was an absolute delight. But see what it did at half time, though. It did that dreaded thing, didn't it? It made you actually believe. Well, that's why I put my right up. I had hope, and hope's the worst thing because going there, I don't think you you always have a little bit of hope, but you don't have hope slightly backed by belief. Um, and, and look, well, let, let's pick over to key moments. So first of all, the big the big saves from from um, Lucas Jensen, who I thought had a good game. There's a guy sitting next to me doesn't like Jensen at all. Moans every time he kicks the ball out, which he did a lot yesterday. But I think that the wind played a huge. Oh part god, in the that. wind was in his face all, terribly yeah. in that first half. And the second um, half, it was it, it did the opposite. It just he kicked. Yeah. The one one goal kick went directly out for a goal kick the other end. Hello. It was. Um, it, I think again, you, you can underestimate that. And then there was a moment, certainly in the second half, we'll come to where there was bags blowing across, and the ball boy in front mm-hmm. of me was trying to put his ball on the cone, and it kept blowing off. In the end, I was just like, just sit on it, lad. Oh, Jesus Christ, it's going to blow away otherwise. But um, so the first thing that I think that really happened that we need to talk about is we had the ball in the net. And again, before the game, I said I want a goal to celebrate. Now, even if you celebrate it for a nanosecond. You celebrate it. And I probably had a nanosecond less because I sit next to Matt and Matt's first instinct, whenever there's a goal, he looks to the lino. I'm the same as Matt. I didn't (laughs) celebrate for a second. I'm not very good at many things, but I'm good at spotting an offside. I've got an eagle eye for an offside. And it's if there's an inkling of offside, before I even begin to celebrate, I look at the lino. And I kind of wish I didn't yesterday because I wanted to have that moment, even though it didn't count, just to go nuts for a second. But... Yeah, I'm like Matt in that regard. I didn't I didn't celebrate for a second. I stayed seated. <laughs> and so, oh, Lion's got his flag up. That's that. Sit down, everybody. Carry on. <laughs> so that's going to bring me to something else. So first of all, I've watched it back. It's not going in. So Because somebody I, I, I tweeted in, in the moment when you see it, you know, why has he touched that? It's going in anyway. You look at it, it, it. It's not. It's a ball across. It's not an effort at goal. Um, and he is offside. So there's no controversy over it. At, at the end of the day, if he doesn't go for it, for me, the best that we can hope for is that it comes back off the post. Um, but let's talk about Ali Smith, because it was Smith's ball in for Mitchell. We'll talk about Smith kind of shanked the chance a little bit later that he probably would, you know, if, if he'd had a, a split second more, he, he could have done more with. Um, neither of us, I think, are entirely sure where he was playing. I mean, why Scout said that we were playing a uh, a 5-4-1, so they think that Smith was playing wide left. I think at times we were in a 3-5-2 and Smith was playing in the midfield with Hamilton and Arahan with um, Hackett and um, Adelican up front. But we were, you were impressed with Smith, weren't you? You said it when you came out. You thought he had his best game for us. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go so far to say it was and he was outstanding. No one, no one deserves to be criticised after the performance yesterday. Um, I do think it was his best performance here in Lincolnshire. I think there were other players that that really, really, really impressed me yesterday that are, that are growing in stature. But I, I was pleased for him because we we mentioned last time he, he started um, a week or two ago, he he did struggle playing right side of that kind of um, that front three. And he looked a little bit lost. I don't think he looked lost yesterday. I thought he looked really disciplined. He looks always looks a little bit kind of leggy and languid, doesn't he? Because he's so tall. I don't think he ever looks like he's massively in control of the ball. But I think that's just his style. I don't think that means he's, he is genuinely not in control. Um, I thought he put himself back really well. I agree. I felt he was prime, pr- pr- kind of primarily playing left of a three and a three-five-two. But then definitely at times, um, certainly when Haxon Adelican ended up going wider, he kind of joined in as that as that front three. It's like we had a hybrid system between that 3-5-2 and that 3-4-3. Um, I think he did an admirable job. I really do. Uh, so, yeah, I know you, you weren't maybe quite as keen on, on his performance, but I, I think he he definitely, yeah, he, he, he does, does come away from the game with his with his head held high after that, I think. He didn't he certainly didn't let himself or the, or the side down at any point. No, I think as we were leaving, I, I did sort of say, 
he looks like a fish out of water in the wing. Actually, I've watched back some of the highlights and he was involved in quite a few of the key moments. And I think it's probably harsh because I'm looking at him thinking I want him to be um, like a Hackett is on the wing or like Mandroyu. And that's not him. He's another square peg in a round hole. He's a victim of the circumstance of us not having a striker and he's, you know, he's kind of filling in. And actually the ball that he's lofted in for Mitchell, OK, Mitchell was offside when he's put it away. It's actually really clever. It's a really clever little little lift. Um, let's also talk about uh, a, a, an absolutely wonderful weapon that we have discovered completely by accident. And again, you can have the the hacks klaxon can come on Hakib Adelikan, you know, dead in the water, less chance of getting a ticket than you and I um, a couple of weeks ago, and and now he's playing up front. And you know, while he's playing, all joking aside we have a massive additional threat with his throw-in. And you know, we've seen it not so much against Carlisle, but we've seen it last night. It's something that if while he's in the team, at Cheltenham on Saturday, we get a throw-in anywhere in that attacking quarter from halfway between the halfway line and the goal, throw-in there. And it's it's like a corner, isn't it? I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like an Exocet missile. <laughs> it is. It's, it's incredible. And it's going to come out of nowhere because, of course... Even he's clearly had this in the locker for a long time, but no one's seen it. And we signed, we signed a key under Michael Appleton, who, you know, he he would not allow a a long throw in ever, or a forward you know, throw in, or a forward throw in. Yeah, good point. Um, so even if he had it in the locker, you know, we never saw it, and then he's back in the team now. And yeah, what a threat, especially when we have got, you know, we've got we've got big lads in the team, well, all over the pitch now. But obviously, centre backs go forward. We've got Ali Smith. We've got, you know, we've got we've got other players, but. It, like you say, it's a corner. We set up as a corner because we send the centre-halves forward. We really take our time and set it up. It's not about taking that quick throw and to ca- catch him off guard. We think this is a real kind of rehearsable moment. You know, that's why set-pieces are so effective and so useful. It's because you can rehearse them. You know, football's so fluid the most of the rest of the time, but a set-piece is something you can train and you can do it over and over and over again. It won't be long until we score off one of them. It really won't. No, I agree. I mean, we all obviously we almost did because I think that's where the the Mitchell um, chance came from, wasn't it? Uh, then we had a golden opportunity. Now, in terms of um, xG, actually, Y Scout have got us having lower xG next uh, Everton than West Ham yesterday, which probably is about right. Um, but our xG in the first half was more than theirs, and it's got to be because of the header uh, from Rico Hackett. Now. If I remember correctly, um, it would oh, actually something interesting. I'll tell you in a minute. Um, if I remember correctly, it was another Smith opportunity. It was another Smith cross, wasn't it? For I think so, yeah. Am I right? Um, so again, it's kind of proving me wrong. Now, just very quickly, actually, it was the highest XG, but there was another opportunity on 27 minutes that was a 0.24 XG. And I'm going to watch it back, but I think I know which one it is. I think it's the slice from throw. Um, there we go. No, it wasn't. It was the offside goal. Anyway, uh, sorry. I'm a little bit like Mark Goldbridge watching that back going, there we go. So the the the, the Mitchell goal was a 0.24 fall from Smith. But Hackett's header. Now, at, that, at the moment that it went in, I thought goal. Clear header, edge of the six-yard box, got to be a goal from there. And then Fabianski saves it, and you go, world-class keeper, great save. One or two around me said, could have done better. One or two on social media have said, absolutely can't criticise the header at all. Before I tell you which camp I fall into, I'll let you give your opinion. Well, you already know. You can guess. Great save. Great save. And it's not just a case of credit in the keeper, <laughs> though Lucas Fabianski did play really, really well. And what's great and really pleasing is that we actually made him play well. You know, he didn't just sit there with his, you know, with the cigar on and his feet up for 90 minutes like sometimes you get in these sort of games. We made him work. But I, I just don't think you can criticise Hackett. You know, he's he's gone back across the keeper. You know, people say, oh, he's hit head it lower, he's just head it more. Like, he's, gone, he's done everything right. He's gone back across the keeper, albeit only a yard or two. But he's gone back across. He's He's got good power on it. Fabianski's got across, readjusts his feet. He's just a, he's a great save. I, I agree. As soon as it came in, it's like, oh, God, I was celebrating. I was up already. But, yeah. You know, 
I I'm don't think what, you can criticise him. You can't right criticise him. I'm watching it back right now. He's met it five yards out. He's got... It's just... Do you know what? It, it, on the replay, it looks like it's almost straight at the keeper. And I'm not going to criticise him. By the way, what a nice move. Hacks back to Arahan, going back to go forward into Smith. But the, I mean, the ball as well from from Smith is yeah, just a great ball in. absolutely beautiful. Great movement, by the way, from Hackett as well. Superb movement. But for me, I don't know. Do you know what? It's glorious. Nine times out of ten, well, not nine times out of ten. Actually, one time out of four that goes in, according to the uh, in, according to the um, xG. I think in League One, though, I think in League One that goes in more often than it doesn't. I just don't know. I don't know. I think. I think he's. I think. I think if a striker heads it and not a winger, and that's no disrespect to him, but if a striker with a more natural inclination, just it's just. Do you know what? It's just got to be six inches the other side of Fabianski, and he doesn't. And that's it. why I'm not criticising because it's that's that's the difference. Six inches. Six inches. It's you know that's just sort of lucky then, isn't it? I, I, I don't know what you've been told, but I've been told six inches is a big difference. <laughs> so I wouldn't know, mate. <laughs> Uh, and straight from there, obviously, then they, I mean, it was an enthralling first half. You know, and if a, if a neutral had watched it, they would know who the Premier League team was because they were so much more comfortable in possession. But they would have gone to young Lincoln City. What a great performance that is. And then Danny Ings goes off. I mean, West Ham's first half XG was 0.63. And, and Danny Ings was 0.2 of that with the chance that he's dragged wide. I actually think that that, again... I, it was a great break, wasn't it? I mean, it was more or less straight from from our header, if I remember correctly. And I just, you know, it was a it was a nice ball through. He's placed. He's obviously one on one with a keeper. Credit Cordy O'Connor, and he doesn't touch the ball or anything. But it's just he's just kind of there. And uh, Joe, you know well, without touching the ball, it was really good defending. At the moment he strikes it, he's got O'Connor just coming in from his right hand side. He's got Rowan just coming across to cut off the the option to the kick. You know, our players have made him miss. He hasn't fluffed it. He's gone for the only space he can see. And again, credit Jensen, O'Connor and Rowan, I think, there. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Inga's probably the only player. Him and maybe Johnson, I wasn't particularly impressed with him. And he was the only player that maybe didn't have a, a decent game for, for, for West Ham. Though I think he actually linked up quite nicely in the second half when they went 4-4-2. And it was, he did really well to create, to create the opportunity. I think he showed really good feet. I think I agree with you. Credit the defenders for putting him off. At the time, I thought, oh, this is going to be that just that typical thing. We've had a, such a good half, and just before half time, we, you know, we conceded and we didn't. Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, you always want to credit your lads. They worked really hard to get back. I think Danny Ings will be disappointed to miss it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but that really lifted me. It was actually that moment that made me believe more than the record. Well, that performance plus that moment made me think, oh, you know, maybe, maybe tonight is the night. And then obviously, it was half time really shortly after that. and it was it was just yeah that, that moment at half time where you think oh we really we really could actually we really could do it what's really frustrating is that after half time i thought we've got the wind helping us we can get the ball loaded in so we can load it into the area whether it's throw-ins whether it's free kicks whether it's corners and we haven't particularly had that um that kind of i don't know that approach it's certainly something that michael appleton would never have tried I felt comfortable and they didn't have anything really serious at goal. I mean, their XG in the second half was 1.21. But actually, they didn't have anything at goal up until 70 minutes, 47 and 57. It, it, I'm not going to say that the game kind of calmed down a lot. I actually felt that we were going to, we might actually take something. I mean, we had, we had more efforts. We had three shots at goal while they only had two before their goal. I was just disappointed that we didn't get an opportunity for Hacks to put the ball in the area from a long throw in. You know, it, it just didn't seem to quite break for us up until their goal, I don't think. Yeah, I think West Ham looked a, a little bit more comfortable in possession than they did in the first half. They didn't look uncomfortable in the first half. I think they had a bit more control second, particularly on... Was it 66 minutes? I think they made the substitution. They brought, yeah. was it Mabama? I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah, Mabama. He came on for Corne. Well, the first thing he did at halftime, which they switched Ben, they switched Ben Rama and Corne over. So they had not, they had the left foot on the left wing and the right foot on the right wing, um, which kind of made sense. It gave them more width, particularly because they had a right-footed left back who was cutting in regularly. Um, 
And I think that did help them a little bit, but not not significantly. But they did change on 66 minutes. They went to a 4-4-2 with Ings and Mbemmer up top. And it yeah. kind of allowed them to attack far wider with a front six against our back five. And I think that without them creating anything clear-cut, I agree that there wasn't anything massively clear-cut. I felt we were we were camped in our third a lot more than we were in the first half, um, which meant, of course, our breaks, you had to run further distances. You had to be more precise with those longer passes because you're, you're 10, 15 yards deeper than you started out from in the first half. And I think that probably had something to do with um, we didn't get out as often in the second half. We defended stoically. I think our defensive shape was outstanding for the whole 90. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't have as many opportunities. But also, you know, West Ham will have learned. Don't give, don't give them free kicks. Don't give them throw-ins, don't give them corners because they're a right threat from them. Um, so I think what was interesting is they they, they tried to kick the ball on the deck, like moving quicker. So every single goal kick went short and it went short quick. Um, yeah, I thought West Ham were good second half, to be honest, but I, I just came out of it with pure pride. Um, but it just, the goal was just so frustrating because it didn't come from... It's not even a good goal. <laughs> it, uh, opportunity, it didn't. And it's just so annoying because... You know, the amount of the amount of balls in the box that we defended so well. You know, we, was, there was an amount of balls in the box that we defended on Wednesday night. It was probably I haven't seen the stats for this, but it felt like double what we sometimes have, have faced against um, this season in the league. And you know, the lads defended brilliantly, and it's just so frustrating because it's going to go down as another set piece goal, and you know, it's going to go down, and people thinking, oh, Lincoln, are, you know, got a bit of a habit from competing, conceding set piece goals. And I just think that's just really unfair. With where we are at the moment, because it's no, there's no structural issue in our set piece setup at all. Um, yeah, obviously in previous games there's been a couple of individual errors. We discussed that. I don't even think you can blame anyone for this one. It's just frustrating, isn't it? It's just one of those. You know, it's one of those where it's it's it could go anywhere. You've got a lovely, you've got a little touch in it on the near post, driven in. And sometimes you get a little flick around the corner, it bubbles in the net as it did. Sometimes it shanks off your ankle and goes out for a, court, a, a goal kick. And sometimes it gets cleared because the defender just gets his toe on it. It's it's like like you mentioned the first half with Hax's header. It is just a matter of inches. Um, that just the exact delivery, the exact amount of spin he got there, just a split second before the you know our defender. It's not like he had a free header. It's just really, really unlucky. And it was <laughs> that type of goal. That was just gutting. It was absolutely yeah. gutting. You know, if they'd scored a screamer like Lucas Dean scored that forty-yard free kick. Uh, in the Ever that Everton League Cup game, you kind of go through. Oh, fair enough, that's quality. And yeah. you know, if you've been carved open by the counter attack, and they you know had four, five, six passes that have just opened us up, and you go, all right, fair enough. But they didn't. But not that I know. And do you know what? When you went in, and one of the words I, I said, you know how you all have sounds that you hate, like fingernails on a blackboard and stuff like that. One of the sounds I hate is the distant cheer of the Stacey West stamp and the silence in the co-op stamp. It's just that, I don't know, it's just that that desolation when the opposition have scored. And it used to be, I used to stand and watch the game over by the um, by the DJ hut and the fans were in upper one, the away mm -hmm. fans were one and two. And I, I remember that the feeling of just standing there while there was the celebration of... It's just the most awful feeling. And actually, our performance tempered that somewhat because when that happened, I almost, this is going to sound crazy, I almost felt relief because I couldn't face penalties. <laughs> I even said to my dad, if this goes to penalties, because I didn't believe up until halftime, I didn't think, I actually thought we'd get beat probably 3-1. I thought we might get a goal. I thought we'd get you know, beaten a little bit heavier. So when they scored, it was almost like a that's it's almost like the pressure off at that stage. I mean, it's disappointing. And and then, you know, we obviously kind of made the the three changes across the front. Um, I thought that we actually looked more likely to score late on. Um, obviously there was Dylan Duffy. I, I thought um thought last played really well. I thought he he looked quite hungry. Ethan Hamilton, obviously absolutely superb. And a bulk of West Ham's XG actually comes from the Kudos effort. Uh, on 85 minutes that's kind of it looked miles offside I've watched it back it isn't I thought the officials actually were really good I thought that Josh Smith had a he was he come up from the National League only a couple of seasons ago he's already on the Premier League list he's got a big big future in the game as a referee and um, yeah there's there's decisions where people have gone that's not a foul or he's pulling him or he's pushing him but if the referee starts giving those, it becomes a niggly tit for tat game, and he let it flow when it needed to flow, and then he obviously pulled up when 
for instance, Paul O'Connor's tackle, which I think, did we say that was retribution for a, a Yeah, I loved it. Rowan? I loved it so <laughs> much. So I think it was Mabama who went in late on Rowan and I can't remember whether we got a free kick or not, but no, he didn't, didn't get booked and he should have got no. he should have got a yellow card for that. Yeah, yeah. It was and then less than a minute later it felt like um O'Connor goes in blatantly late on Sujek. And it's clearly right, you do that to mine, mate. I'm gonna do it to one of yours then. And it was yeah. I, I like that. I like that togetherness and that looking after <laughs> your own. I just like I know it's a bit old school, but I loved it. Like he knew he was getting a yellow card. Everyone knew he was getting a yellow card. Though it seemed it was ages so he got a book because the ball was in play for like two and a half minutes after that. Um yeah. but yeah I, I have got no issues with that at all. I, I loved that moment. <laughs> So, look, I think we're half an hour in, so we need to move on in a minute. But I think it's the happiest I've been after a defeat. And I, was, I wasn't I was dis- disappointed after defeat against Portsmouth. I wasn't disappointed after defeat against Derby. We've lost three games on the spin, but we've lost against Derby, Portsmouth and West Ham, all of whom are, rel- are big clubs, all of whom five or six years ago, we were just looking at thinking, well, we'll never get to face those types of teams. OK, I know West Ham was in the cup, but you know what I mean? They're, they're big occasions. They really are. I, everybody's been saying proud on social media. And I think it's a, it's an easy word now to say, of course, we're proud. It's easy to say we're proud. If we draw nil-nil against Cheltenham on Saturday, that pride will disappear. But I think pride is, is, is an amazing feeling to have. It's something that you, know, you, you can't buy pride and you can't buy um, respect. You can buy good footballers, and we have. And the ones that we have actually bought for cash. You think about our our top performers last night, and it's hard to to pinpoint certain players. But if you said to me, right, which which three players are up there for your man of the match? Ethan Hamilton, who we bought, uh, would certainly be up there. Rico Hackett, who we bought, would certainly be up there. Uh, and and Ethan Arahan, who we bought, would certainly be up there. Okay, yeah, Lass Sorensen, massive shout. Claudio I wrote Conner. down five players. Uh, your, Sean point, Rowan. Your, your point absolutely stands. There's five players I wrote down. No, no, no one deserves to be criticised. Like everyone no. was brilliant, but there was five that stood out a mile to me. I've got Jansen, Sorensen, Rowan. I thought Rowan, despite his, oh. you know, it was a slip, it's not even a mistake. He just slips over, but it yeah. obviously caused a mistake. Uh, caused there's a uh, a chance. I thought bearing in mind what he's had to play up play against there's. He, he's played. He was up against a forty million quid player for the majority of that game in Kudus, and. He looked, he looked every inch comfortable. I thought he was yeah. outstanding. Um, yeah, so Jensen, Sorensen, Rowan, and then Hackett and Hamilton. And Hamilton is just, just growing, isn't he? He's growing game after game after game. He's, he's, he's getting better and better and better. You know, what a signing he's been so far. Yeah, agreed. Happy to move on? I don't. Yeah, I suppose I, so. I'll be honest, I don't really want to. I want to talk about it all night. And the beauty is, little peek behind the curtain, we're recording this. And then 15 minutes after recording finishes, Chris is getting in the car and driving over here. Uh, we're going to play Paul. So we'll be able to talk about it. There'll be no drunken videos. Uh, what there won't, what there will be now for you is a little break um, while we go to our adverts. Now, I am aware that we've had gambling adverts um, over the past couple of weeks. I think Virgin Bet have been up. I have raised it with TalkSport. Uh, so they should not be coming anymore. But if there is a gambling advert, please let me know. Please drop me an email or something like that, just so that we're aware. So hopefully it's just going to be me unenthusiastically telling you to get a McDonald's. Uh, and we might follow with Chris unenthusiastically telling you to get four chicken nuggets in a little wrap for 15 quid. Uh, let's see what we've got. Hi, I'm Rico Hackett and you're listening to the Stacey West podcast. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, 
we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that, whoever it was, unless it's a betting company, then no thank you for that. Not very good at all. Uh, so we're going to now go actually straight into another pre-recorded segment. Um, so this is uh, a preview of the Cheltenham game. So Joe from the Robins Report has been speaking to our roving reporter, Charlie Beeston, uh, about our upcoming fixture this weekend. Take it away, Charlie B. I'm Ethan Hamilton and you're listening to Stacey West podcast. Well, I guess we kind of just got to go straight into it. And I know you probably don't want to have to talk about this. And some of the questions I've got written down, it feels like I'm feels like I'm a bit of a bully <laughs> sort of having to ask these. Uh, but look, we're, you, you guys are nine games in, bottom of the league, one point, no goals. Everybody, everybody knows the kind of dire situation you're in. What on earth has gone wrong? Um, that's a very good question. And I think there's a number of factors that have contributed to where we are right now. Um, uh, to sort of list list off some of those, um, I mean, Alfie May leaving is yeah. probably the clearest um, example of something that's not gone for us. Um, as we stand, he's still the last person to score a league goal for us back in May against the team that he now plays for, which is bizarre when you think about it. Mm. Um, so losing him is, was massive and you could also query how much money we got for him as well. Um, yeah. I think we've had an awful lot of injuries, which haven't helped. Um, I would say the recruitment generally, as we were sort of going through the summer before the season started, we were quite happy with the recruitment. Um, so I don't think that's been, you know, the biggest issue. Um, we, we had a lot of upheaval with um, backroom staff as well in the summer. Um but yeah, ultimately, we found ourselves in a situation now where we've got one point. We haven't scored a league goal. The only goal we have scored this season was an own goal for us in the um, Papa John's Trophy. Um, yeah. And obviously, we've parted ways with our manager last week, which um, was on balance the right decision. Um, I still think that Wade Elliott deserves a lot of credit for the job he did last season, um, keeping mm -hmm. us up comfortably. And obviously, we had a good run in the Papa John's as well. Um, but as much as there were these mitigating factors which were against him, which I've listed off already. Um, I think it was the right decision. And I do feel that whoever the new manager is that comes in will hopefully be able to get more out of these players than we've seen so far this season. Well, you very much kind of answered the next question and it was going to be all about was, was Wade Elliott sacking the right decision. And I've got to be honest, on the outside looking in, it feels, it felt really unfair but at the same time, I totally understand that um, Chris, one of the one of the other podcast hosts, he kind of said, at the end of the day, you're outside the transfer window. The only thing that a club can really change at that point is the manager, it's which you, you know you've you've had to roll the dice, you've had to do, um, and yeah, it's whether or not it's the right decision, only time will tell. But at the end of the day, um, but I guess kind of the the other part of the sort of managerial sacking conversation. Obviously, what he he moved on about this time last week, wasn't it? Tuesday, yeah, Wednesday last week, something like last that. Last Wednesday, yeah, yeah. Um, so as soon as it happened, myself and a good few others kind of said, "Oh, well, that's it. That's them beating us." New manager bounce, but obviously, you've not got a manager in. So I guess kind of both the questions is: A, do you think you will have a new man in the dugout by Saturday? And B, who who are the current contenders, just leading contenders to be? Um, so I don't think we'll have a new man in the dugout, but we might have a new man in the stand. I think yeah. the appointment could be today, it could be tomorrow. So uh -huh. we, I think we'll have a new manager, but I'm not sure they'll have had any input ahead of the game with you yeah. on Saturday. In terms of who it could be, um, I'd say based on the bookies odds, which are not the most reliable thing. You've probably been through this in the past when you've been changing mm -hmm. managers. Yeah, um, We had a wild one sort of, uh, the last couple of days where Scott Brown, the former Fleetwood yeah. manager, was all of a sudden a massive favourite um, and then got ruled out very quickly by um, uh, local 
um, news reporter. Um, yes, so, I, I saw that tweet from John Palmer. Yeah, we were quite yeah. relieved at that one. So <laughs> in terms of the two main candidates, I think we're looking at David Artell, the former crew mm-hmm. manager, yep. and we're looking at Daryl Clark, the former Bristol Rovers, Warsaw and Port Vale manager. Yeah. Um, David Artell was at the game on Saturday. Um, okay. Darren Clark, Daryl Clark, I'm not so sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I think both myself and the other guys on the Robbins Report feel that both of those would be good appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I'd favour Artell slightly um, because I feel like the work that he did at Crew might be similar to what he would have to do for us. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to give up on this season, but we have to sort of almost future-proof ourselves and look ahead to yeah. next season. And you look at the side that he built at Crew on a small budget, got them mm. promoted into League One, um, you know, enhanced the careers of some really good young players who've gone on to make yeah. a lot of money for that club. Um, but then Daryl Clark's done similar, I guess, as well. Um, he's got a good track record, you know, really popular manager at both Bristol Rovers and Port Vale and also did a pretty good job at Warsaw in between that. So um, I think those are the two main contenders and I think we'd both be, um, both of those would be good options. Brilliant. Thank you, Joe, from the Robbins Report. And thank you, of course, Charlie. Uh, Chris, your initial reaction to that interview? Oh, the thing is, it's just the game in general. I'll be honest, it was a really good interview. Um, there, but I don't think we learnt a lot, to be honest. And it's just one of the... They haven't scored a goal yet this season. I'm not going to say it's written in the stars that they will, because I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case. But it's also incredibly improbable that they're going to continue this goal, the goaler streak for much longer. Uh, I think it's very difficult. There, put your teeth in, Chris. I think it's very difficult to um, to preview. Really, it's very difficult to, to predict because they've, of course, parted ways with Wade Elliott. Um, I, I can originally, I think, I mentioned it on our on our group actually when it when it happens. Like, that's really unfair because the whole backroom staff's been well been. Uh, Primarily, most of it's gone to Shrewsbury. Um, every single player that got them promoted is now, or almost every single player that got them promoted is now no longer part of the club. You know, they've, they've been decimated, really. Um, and then poor old Wade Elliott, who did well to keep them up last season and re- relatively comfortably in the end. He was on a bit of a hard into nothing this season, but when the transfer window's closed, that's the only thing you can change, isn't it, is, is the manager. But because of that, um, it makes it more difficult to, to preview because... Lineups can change, formations can change compared to what kind of Wade Elliott's set up for, um, and that's I think that's pretty obvious, really, in regard to how that's that's panned out because they were almost exclusively playing in the back three, primarily three five two, sometimes three four three, but primarily three five two with Keener and Street up top um, until the last game, and they played four three three. They lost three 0 at home to to Stevenage, so you know whether the, the Stand-in manager is gonna the caretaker is gonna think well we'll go back to the back three because we lost three goals in the last game or he's gonna stick to his guns and, and play a back four because well, they haven't won yet they haven't scored yet so something's got to change but it just makes it really difficult to predict uh, and, and difficult to preview so yeah what are your thoughts? Well, I think they're gonna come here and not want to get beaten. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but they're going to come here. I think that they're going to be defensively resolute. I watched um, a large part of the game against Portsmouth, which they drew 0-0. That's uh, the only point they've got. The only the point season. they've got. They were uh, lucky, to be fair. They were lucky to get nil um, that day, but they were lucky to keep a clean sheet as well. Um, and look, they're going to be dogged. They're going to be resolute. Okay, they lost 3-0 to Stevenage, but I think that they would come here and they would take a point all day long and twice on Sunday. So I think that they are, uh, they're going to be hard to break down. And that puts the onus and the emphasis onto us. And I think that's where we have a fundamental problem at the moment because, um, claps and alert, we don't have any strikers. Now, we're going to have to mention... We're recording this before the pre-match uh, interviews have gone out. So whether they've been done or not, I don't know. But there's a lot of there's a big question mark over an interview that Mark Kennedy did the other night where Michael Horton said to him about Jack Vale, is Jack Vale training with you? And Mark said, Can I discuss that with you on Thursday? Now I have a fear on the back of this that Jack Vale is not training with us at the moment. And I have a fear that Jack Vale may well 
not be back. Now, I could stand corrected. He could be named in the side on Saturday. I think we're going to have to play a majority of the next month or two without a striker. We've been pinning our hopes on Jack coming in fit and ready to go. Be easy to criticise the the, the um, recruitment, by the way. But when we signed Jack Vale, we didn't know that we needed strikers because we thought that we had got two anyway. Um, so we'll have Danny Mandroyu back. I don't think we'll see Jack Vale. We would hope rather to have Danny Mandroyu back. Um, I, 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 I think it's going to be. Remember Charlton and Cambridge. I can see it being like that. I, I, I think that we're going to struggle to break open teams who come and play with. I mean, I think you said that they went four three three, but they've previously kind of almost played two banks of four. I think that they're going to come. They're going to be hard to break down. We're not going to have that. I don't know. I just can't see us having that spark to break break the teams down. Unless we can pick something up, set pieces. Stevenage is going to load. Stevenage would load in the box, set pieces, all that sort of stuff against them. So if we can utilize Hax's throw, if we can look to get balls into the box, if we can get a big man forward, and interesting that Pordy O'Connor, I think, almost played as a centre forward for the last five minutes of the West Ham game. He was like right up there. Whether we're going to throw caution to the wind like that in a league game or not, I don't know. On the other hand, just on Cheltenham's team, I really like Aiden Keener. And I've seen him a couple of times for them. I think he's a young player at the moment who's probably not going to um, going to stand out a huge amount immediately. But I think he's somebody that's got an awful lot of um, of potential. So, look, they're going to have to score their first goal sometime. And I, I just think the euphoria of Saturday, people are going to expect us to go into the Cheltenham game and blow them away. I just can't see that happening at all. I really can't. I can't see us blowing them away. But I do think we've still got enough to beat them. Now, um, two points, really, because historically, and by historically, I mean under under Mark Kennedy, um, we have struggled to break down those teams that have that low block and, and, and want us to kind of say, come on, come on, break us down. Much like with the questions we asked of West Ham on Wednesday night. Um, that has been a, a challenge for us. And I felt a lot more comfortable about that situation at the start of the season when we, of course, had fit strikers and we, we seemed like we'd kind of found a solution to that that problem. And I think, yeah, I think not for a second do I, do I feel we're going to be suddenly become a poor team. As we, as we said last week, um, those first two thirds of the pitch are, are fine uh, and strong. So I don't think we'll concede many throughout the season at all. But I do think that striker situation does make the difference between us feeling comfortable or having a little bit more to be able to break down those low block teams. Whereas now I think that we may just regress back to kind of where we were last season and maybe we'll struggle again. Um, I think that definitely will be a challenge between now and Christmas. Uh, I don't think there's any escape in that. I still personally feel that we should have enough to get past Cheltenham. I really do. Even if we have exactly the same lineup that started uh, on Wednesday, if we do have Hack starting up top and we do have, um, you know, or maybe even Ted, for example, who, I expect him to probably start, to be honest, on Saturday. Not natural plays in those positions. We, you know, we discussed it so often, but I still think we've got enough to beat to beat Cheltenham. Um, and that really is no disrespect because I don't think they are as poor um, as maybe the stats suggest, um, or the score, or the points haul and the, and the goals suggest. You know, they're not actually bad defensively. They've lost a couple of games heavily. Lost three 0 to Stevenage. They lost three 0 to Posh in the in the game before, but they had a player sent off after four minutes. But every game before that, um, lost 1-0 to Exeter, uh, lost 1-0 to Northampton, drew 0-0 to Pompey, lost 1-0 to Reading. Um, they did lose 2-0 to Barnsley, but they actually had their best XG of the season in that game. They were unlucky not to score. So as much as they haven't scored many goals, or any goals, of course, and they have got um, only got one point, they're actually in tight games the majority of the time. And I think that just goes to show that you know, the weakness they have is very much going forward. They're not too bad defensively and with obviously strong defensively but we're not particularly great offensively squad wise at the moment so I, I do I agree I think it'll be tight I think it'll be a a bit of a stodgy game a bit of those certainly won't be one that lives in the memory blanks for long most likely but I do think we'll have enough to get past them all we've got to do between and I'm going general now all we've got to do between now and January is keep picking up points here and there. And even if we stay tucked in 14th, 15th, which we're better than, I firmly believe we're better than. And I think the final, the first two thirds of the field 
we know that we're better than 14th or 15th, but at the moment we're 24th in strikers because we don't have any. Ding, 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 ding. So I think you've got to keep tucked in. Somebody, um, Richard Cross, messaged uh, and said, question for the podcast, is this actually a position where come January, we, if we've hung in there, we could be the team that make the late push if we start getting bodies back? Um and I think so. And you're nodding, so you obviously think so. But I've got two. I've got two questions, and we're we're on forty odd minutes plus. The, so we're coming to the end of the show. We're trying to keep it close because obviously we've got some pool to play later. Um, first question: Does this raise issues around loan rules? Because we don't have any strikers, but we've got two out on loan. One in the football league. One in the national league. And okay, Charlie Kendall wouldn't be a starting number nine for us because of the way that he plays, but he would almost certainly be somebody that would be in and around the first team setup. Does it does it pose the question that not being able to recall players actually is can in some instances be damaging? It's a good question. I think he can get stoned the other way around as well, though, with that. Let's imagine the season that Tyler Walker was banging in goals for us. He did get recalled in January. Imagine he got called recalled in the end of at the end of September. Then you, then yeah, you yeah. You're without a striker, so I think I think it can work both ways. I think in our situation, of course, it would be ideal to be able to recall them. Of course, it would. Um, I think you've got to got to protect the agreement a little bit. We can. I think it should be a given that you can recall in transfer windows. Um, I think we. I think the majority of ours will be able to be. Um, we don't know about those recall clauses, but we kind of expect that to be the case, don't you? It, most of them are these days. Um, I think we're just, it's just bad luck. I think we've just got really bad luck at the moment. So I don't think we can blame anyone else. I don't think it's systemic in regard to how football is structured. What I did used to quite like, though, I used to quite like it when the transfer window ended. There was still a window after that that was a loan window, so you could still sign players on loan. So if anything did happen in that last week or so of the transfer, uh, in that next couple of weeks injury-wise, then you still could go out and get a loan in. I think that was quite a good system, to be honest. It allowed a bit more movement. It allowed... Yeah, a bit more protection, I suppose, for clubs with slightly smaller squads that maybe did pick up big injuries. So yeah, maybe that that would have something to do with it. That would only that would be more about kind of replacing and bringing someone in rather than recalling one of our own. But it would certainly help in this situation. Second question: If Jack Vale has picked up an injury, and let's say he is another four, five, six weeks away, do the club get Connor Wickham on the phone? And start talking about short-term deals because he's he's not got a club at the minute. Chris Martin, by the way, just signed for Bristol Rovers, so these strikers are still signing. If he wants to put himself in the shop window as he wanted to with Forest Green, do you look for that or do you just go? Actually, we'll keep going with what we've got and push on through. I wouldn't. I wouldn't approach a single free agent at all, even if Jack Vales doesn't kick a ball for us at all. If he's injured until Christmas and he gets recalled in January and we never see him. I still don't think we, we sign a free agent because like you said, I think we've got I still think we've got enough to stay within touching distance. You know, it's it's mad, isn't it, that we've been considering playoffs as, as you know, Lincoln City because you know, I, I really as I said before, I was gutted when we got the injury news because I I really did believe kind of deep down that we, we could be a top six side. Um and I think what Richard said is a really great point when everyone is back, we still could be. We we're not gonna be in there for the whole season. I think it's obvious we're gonna we are gonna drop away from that. But you've only got to be within sort of six, seven points from Christmas to have a run and catch and catch those teams and be. You know, if you're going in there with you know, two or three points away with the last three or four games of the season, it's all to play for, isn't it? And I still think we've we've got more than enough to stay in and be competitive in every single league game this season, no matter who we're playing against. And if you're keeping the opposition down to zeros and ones, and we can score one, you win. You win and draw most games, and. I think despite us being under strength, we've still got enough to do that in the majority of games. You know, we, we were under strength against Portsmouth and we were really unlucky not to come away with, with anything from that game. And they, they haven't lost yet this year in the league. So if that's the standard, you know, if you expect everyone to be lower than that standard, then we are, I think we've got enough. I think we've got enough to have Hacks up top and to have Rico playing up there now and then, get Danny Mandrew back in, back in the fold. I think we're okay. So so here we go again then. One final question, because I can hear Fee getting impatient and with the with the pizza, homemade pizza, by the way. We've got a blender, gonna make our own pizza topping as well. Be pizza base, you know, with tomato and all that sort of stuff. Getting passionate about it. I've got my old got my Italian fingers going. Nobody can see that, but whoa, pizza base. Um, 
3-5-2. Does that suit the squad that we have better? So let's get Danny Mandrew back, Rico Hackett. You go 3-5-2. You could have Hackett, Mandrew starting. You could bring Hacks on. You can bring D- D- Dylan Duffy on. You kind of probably a little bit more suited to Ted Bishop playing as a in a in a three with Hamilton and Arahan, more suited with Ali Smith in there. Does if if Jack Vale is injured, but if we're not going to go for a free agent, which by the way, that question wasn't me making a point. I don't think we should go for a free agent either. I don't think Connor Wickham would add or anybody on the free agent list would add anything. But I do think a change to a three five two. Um, would be a sensible move, which seems stupid, doesn't it? You play one striker, they all get injured, so you go to playing two strikers. But I just think that that's probably a better route. Um, and also, I think that our wing backs, with the pace that they have, Burroughs and Sorensen, and the attacking impetus that they have, actually they can they can fulfil that kind of wider role. Um, what are your thoughts? I agree. I think Hacks, of course, admirably. I think Hacks has admirably since he's come in, and it feels it feels a little bit bad to kind of say he maybe shouldn't necessarily be included in our strongest 11. But I think you want to get as many round pegs and round holes as you can. But also you want to get your best 11 players on the pitch if you can as well. And I think the nearest we can get to that is a 3-5-2 with Mandroyu and Hackett up top um, with the midfield three of Arahan, Hamilton and Bishop. Um, but of course, you know, we mentioned Ali Smith earlier and he was kind of in that hybrid role because in some shapes we were in a 3-5-2 with him on the left of the three in midfield. And in some shapes, we were 3-4-3 with um, Hacks on the right rather than more central. Not Hacks, sorry. Um, Rico, Hacks on the centre and then and then Halley very much as a left winger or that kind of left inside forward role. Um, so even if we do kind of start in that 3-5-2 shape, then then Ted could be the one that really breaks forward from that three. And we know like, in terms of his starting position in possession. And then we know Hamilton can, can break from deep anyway. I agree. I think three five two, but with that kind of hybrid, that hybrid um, approach, which we seem quite good at. Because even when we, you know, what we're really, what we're really discussing here is one position on the pitch, really. Or what, because the back three is the same, the wing backs the same, the two sitting in front of the back three are the same. It's just how those remaining three plays, the the slight sh- uh, like positional shape shift that they have in different phases. Yeah. That's the only thing you're adjusting in that. Maybe that could be an element you. You pick and choose that depending on the opposition. You keep the rest of the structure solid, but that front three, the personnel and the shape of it, you maybe you maybe change that depending on who you're playing and the shape they play and, the, and maybe the threats or weaknesses they have. Uh, but on paper, just purely one to eleven, I, I, I agree. I think three five two suits us. And with, just with so that, just so that people know, we may be playing Danny Mandroyu right forward, left forward, but actually, a majority of his games for Shanghai Rovers were either centre forward or central attacking midfield in that kind of ten role. So I think he would be very much suited to that. I also think um, that it, it it may be conducive when pressing a little bit as well, because I think having the, the two centre forwards certainly, if we're coming up against four at the back, um, it would probably be less kind of. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Less intense on players who are playing out of position. So if you've got the the front three across the front three and you're trying to play Ali Smith and you're trying to play Ted Bishop, you're getting them to do roles that are not natural. Whereas I think if you had Danny Mandroyu, Rico Hackett, they are more naturally centre forward. So it's probably easier then to coach them on the on the various triggers because they're not having to think about the other aspects of their game, like Ali Smith having to think, well, I'm a central midfielder. I'm meant to be out on the wing. What am I meant to be doing here? What am I meant to be doing there? No disrespect to Ali Smith, of course, on that. Okay. So there we go. We are coming to the end of the uh coming to the end of the show. Um, I have been your host. Chris has been your co-host. Last night, Lincoln City, let's fall into the cliche. Last night, Lincoln City did us proud in the Carabao Cup, but we lost. This weekend, Cheltenham, we're expecting to win, so probably won't. Um, (laughs) Chris thinks we will. I think we'll draw. No, look, thank you very much for listening to the Stacey West podcast. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure taking an hour of your time. Um, as, uh, as, as we always ask, or as I never ask, but always should do like subscribe, all of that stuff. Give us a five star rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Lincoln City don't have any strikers. I don't know if you know that, but we don't, but still we're not doing bad. Up the imps. Up the imps.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute, and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.